Bibles, please, and turn with me to Second Chronicles, Second Chronicles, and the fifteenth chapter. Now you have the Corinthians, first and second in the New Testament. This is first and second Chronicles in the Old Testament, and we are in Second Chronicles in chapter number fifteen. We'll read uh, several verses uh, leading up to it, but our text will be uh, the ninth verse this morning. Second Chronicles chapter number 15. Would you please stand with me out of respect for the Word of God? And I ask you, if you would, to join me Uh, As we read responsively, I'll begin with verse 1. You join me on verse 2. I'll read verse 3 and so forth. And the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded. And he went out to meet Asa and said unto him, Hear ye me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while ye be with him. And if ye seek him, he will be found of you. But if ye forsake him... He will forsake you. Now for a long season, Israel had been without the true God and without a teaching priest and without law. But when they, in their trouble, did turn unto the Lord God of Israel and sought him, he was found of them. And in those times, there was no peace to him that went out nor to him that came in. But great vexations were upon all the inhabitants of the countries. And nation was destroyed of nation, and city of city, for God did vex them with all adversity. Be ye strong, therefore, and let not your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. And when Asa heard these words, and the prophecy of Oded the prophet, he took courage and put away the abominable idols out of all the land of Judah and Benjamin, and out of the cities which he had taken from Mount Ephraim, and renewed the altar of the Lord that was before the porch of the Lord. And our text together, verse number 9. And he gathered all Judah and Benjamin, and the strangers with them out of Ephraim and Manasseh, and out of Simeon. For they fell to him of Israel in abundance when they saw that the Lord his God was with him. Notice that last phrase of the ninth verse. They fell to him, speaking of Asa the king, they fell to him out of Israel in abundance when they saw that the Lord his God was with him. People rallied to him when they saw that the Lord his God was with him. People wanted to follow him. People wanted to go where he was going, be a part of what he was doing and what God was doing through him. And they saw that the Lord, his God, was with him. I want to speak to you on the little phrase, they saw God with him. Heavenly Father, please, through the power of the Holy Spirit, bring to the hearts of these thy people the same joy and fascination with this text that you brought to me in the time of study of this portion of Scripture. And may this wonderful truth that became... Uh, the reality of Asa's life, be the reality of our lives as believers today. May others see God at work in our lives, creating in them a desire 
to know that same God and be a part of what he's doing. And so encourage the believers this morning. Save the lost if there be among us. Those who need to be born again, save them. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. Asa, King Asa, was the great-grandson of Solomon. Solomon, of course, is famous king of Israel, and Solomon was the third king of a united nation. As you know, King Saul was the first king of Israel, followed by David, and then his son Solomon. Upon the death of Solomon, uh, one, uh, excuse me, uh, yeah, upon, upon the death of Solomon, his son Rehoboam became king. And Solomon was a, Solomon was a builder. Solomon was a truce maker. David uh, 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 built uh, great strength into the kingdom. He fought the battles that had to be fought and slew the giants. And his uh, his uh, nephews helped him, and others helped him slay God's uh, uh, enemies of God. And and uh, Solomon came along, and that was a great established kingdom was handed to him. And Solomon ruled with with one brief segue, a very uh, very uh, brief mention of one battle that Solomon fought. Otherwise, his entire reign was a, a peaceful reign. And he handed over to his son, Rehoboam, the wealthiest uh, kingdom that's ever been in existence. Uh, uh, the Bible said that, that Solomon gathered so much gold, which he was commanded not to do in the book of Deuteronomy, but in defiance of that command, clear command of God, uh, given to Moses hundreds of years before. He did, in fact, increase gold, even to the point where he devalued just about everything else. Even silver lost its value under Solomon's reign. It was like rocks, the Bible says, like stones. But there was incredible wealth in the nation, and Rehoboam inherited this well-established, well-connected uh, 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 nation, uh, uh, united nation of Israel. And if you remember the story, Rehoboam was approached by a man named Jeroboam, who was uh, a very respected military leader. And he came with a, uh, uh, as, a as an ambassador to, uh, on behalf of the people, like a negotiator, if you will, and uh, to this young Rehoboam and said, Rehoboam, listen, your dad is obviously a great man, but he was a strong man and, and ruled with a strong hand and taxed us uh, 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 grievously. And, 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 and we've come to ask you if you would lighten the heavy load that your father put on us. And Rehoboam went to the old men who were his father's contemporaries and got advice from those older men, a wise thing for Rehoboam to do. And they said, well, Rehoboam, listen, you're new at this job. You're Sol- Solomon, your dad, was well established and people followed him. But uh, Rehoboam, you, you haven't earned your stripes, so to speak. And you need to, you need to respect the people's wish. They've come and they've come the right way and they've come with the right spirit. And you ought to respect their wishes and you ought to lighten their load. And Rehoboam said, let me see what my buddies say. And he talked to the men of his own age, his buddies, so to speak. And they said, oh, uh, listen, you should show them who's the boss. Tell them, if my dad uh, whipped you with it, so I'm going to whip you with scorpions. It's even silly. It doesn't even make sense. You say dumb things when you get cocky, don't you? Oh, they were vying for more power for themselves. They could care less about Rehoboam, quite frankly. And uh, Rehoboam uh, uh, despised the advice of the elder men and took his buddy's advice and as, re- as a result, Jeroboam went back to the people, gave the word, and ten of the twelve tribes of Israel revolted and said, Every man to their tent, you're not our king. 
Rehoboam tried to salvage that relationship and it didn't go well for him. And so he's left with two of twelve tribes. Rehoboam and Jeroboam led the, quickly led the ten, ten northernmost tribes into idolatry. Jerusalem, the capital, was there in the center, the capital of the nation, of the United Nation uh, of Israel, uh, was there in Jerusalem. And, and, uh, and so Jeroboam, who uh, took ten of the tribes and split off of Israel, became known as the, the northern kingdom, uh, also known as Israel after the division, and the two southern uh, tribes uh, known as the southern kingdom, uh, also known as Judah. And uh, in order to keep people from going back to Jerusalem uh, to worship and uh, the true God, Jeroboam said, well, I'll, I'll, I'll set up some centers of worship up here in the northern kingdom. And he did so from one end of the country to the other, the northernmost part and the southernmost part to keep people from going back to visit Jerusalem and the southern kingdom, lest their affections and their loyalties be drawn back to the idea of a united kingdom. He wanted to keep the people worshiping in the north. And so uh, uh, there, there, there will be, uh, by the time the, uh, the northern kingdom is finally comes under the judgment of God and is overcome by the Assyrians, there will be a total of uh, 19 kings in the northern kingdom. And every one of them was a bad king. Not a good one in the bunch. But in the southern kingdom, a total of 20 kings will reign. Ten of them we would call good kings. And of those ten, five, we would call them extraordinary kings. Five of those men led the nation in revival. Hezekiah is named among them, Jehoshaphat, Josiah, and Joash. But the first of those was the great-grandson of Solomon, the man in our text verse here, Asa. Asa took the throne after his father, uh, Abijah, and his grandfather, of course, before him, Rehoboam. And both of those men, their reigns uh, did not honor God. But Asa, as a young man, takes the throne and he, uh, evidently by the influence of some godly people in his life, a godly mother, some other godly influences in his life, he says, you know, our nation once feared God. And he had it in his mind and in his heart to seek the Lord and to get the nation back on track. We read about it in chapter 14. Follow along with me if you would please as I set the stage for the message. So Abijah, that is his father, slept with his fathers and they buried him in the city of David. And Asa his son reigned in his stead. In his days the land was quiet, ten years, no conflicts. And Asa did that which was right, which was good and right in the eyes of the Lord. Isn't that a great statement? Asa did that which was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. I I hope it could be said of you and I that we did that which was good and right in the eyes of the Lord. It's one thing to do good and right in the eyes of our fellow man. It's an entirely different thing to do good and right in the eyes of the Lord. For he took away the altars of the strange gods and the high places and break down the images and cut down the groves. And commanded Judah, that's the southern kingdom, those two tribes over which he reigned, commanded Judah, the nation, to seek the Lord God 
of their fathers and to do the law and the commandment. Also, he took away out of uh, all the cities of Judah the high places and the images where they sacrificed to the false gods. And the kingdom was quiet before him. And he built fenced cities in Judah for the land had rest. And he had no war in those years because the Lord had given him rest. God blesses those who honor him. Therefore, he said unto Judah, let us build these cities and make about them walls and towers, gates and bars while the land is yet before us. While we have peace, let us fortify our cities, because we have sought the Lord. Notice he recognizes why favor is upon him. Because we sought the Lord our God, we have sought him and he hath given us rest on every side. So they built and prospered. Now a test of Asa's faith. And Asa had an army of men that bear targets, shields if you will, and spears out of Judah 300,000. It's a pretty good sized army of Men carrying spears and out of Benjamin, the tribe that bears shields and drew bows, two hundred and four score thousand, two hundred eighty thousand archers, three hundred thousand footmen with spears. All these were mighty men of valor. Verse nine, and there came out of against them Zerah, the Ethiopian with an host of a thousand thousand. That's a million. That's 580,000 soldiers against a million. And Zerah had 300 chariots. That's like 300 tanks. <laughs> and uh, 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 one, uh, one chariot could easily dispatch 100 foot soldiers. So you might add to that equivalent of 30,000 more. Basically, the odds are two to one against Asa and the kingdom of Judah. The Bible said in verse 10, Then Asa went out against him, and they set the battle in array in the valley of Zephathah and Marisha. And Asa, look how beautiful this is. Asa cried unto the Lord his God and said, Lord, it is nothing with thee to help, whether with many or with them that have no power. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rest on thee. And in thy name we go against this multitude. O Lord, thou art our God. Let no man prevail against thee. So the Lord smote the Ethiopians. Amen. Asa cried in faith to the Lord and God got involved in the battle. And the Ethiopians fled. In verse number 13, Asa and the people that were with him pursued them unto Gerar, and the Ethiopians were overthrown, that they could not recover themselves, for they were destroyed before the Lord and before His host, and they carried away very much spoil. And they smote all the cities round about Gerar, for the fear of the Lord came upon them. Asa is only 32 years of age at this time, and he takes upon this, this great battle as the Ethiopians come with overwhelming odds against Judah, thinking surely they will take this new land and overcome the people that feared God. And this relatively young king became king at age 22 now, at 32 years of age, after 10 years of peace, this incredible odd against him, two to one pretty much. And he cries to God and God hears him and God honors his dependence upon him and God 
gave him the victory. By the way, that's the same God that's alive today if you're a born-again Christian. That's your God. Amen. And no matter what the odds are, like what Bob Jones Sr. said, you and God make a majority. Amen. It doesn't matter what the odds are on the other side, what the number is on the other side. With God, all things are possible. After that tremendous display of dependence upon God, God's mighty intervention, the man of God comes to Asa. Verse verse 1 of chapter 15, our text. And the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded. And he went out to meet Asa and said unto him, Hear ye me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin, the the tribes there of the southern kingdom. The Lord is with you while ye be with Him. Can I say this this morning? We don't need God on our side. We need to get on God's side. Amen. You know, sometimes in prayer we're trying to get God on our side. And uh, how many of you pray during ball games? Come on, if you, no, you don't have to raise your hand. And the other side is praying too. And we want God on our side. Let me tell you something. What we need to do is God's people get on God's side. Amen. The man of God said, The Lord is with you while ye be with him. Exodus 32 asks the question, Who is on the Lord's side? And if you seek him, he will be found of you. But if ye forsake him, he will forsake you. Hey, listen, can I tell you something? God's not playing hide and go seek with you. If you seek him, he will be found of you. Amen? Amen. God, God, God's not hiding. How many remember Bill Burr, Dr. Bill Burr? Remember Dr. Bill Burr? I think he probably got this from Billy Kelly. But he'd get up to sing sometime behind a microphone. He was a big man, big man, three, 350 plus probably. He'd get behind a microphone like this. He said, can y'all see me? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I thought that was funny too. Thank you. Uh, but can I tell you something? God's not playing hide and go seek with us. Amen? If you want Him, you can, He'll be found. Yes. How many people say, well, you know what? Where's God? Where's God? Where's God? God, as if God has abandoned His people. He said, I'll never leave thee and I'll never, ever forsake thee. So many times we want God to come into our lives, into our situation, upon our bidding, to do what we want Him to do, and then we can go on about His business till we need Him again. No, God said, hey, who's on the Lord's side? Amen. What are God's interested in today? I wonder what, 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 I wonder how much of our prayers, I wonder how much of our beseeching God, whatever praying we do, I wonder how much of it is, is about what God's interests are in the world, what God's plans, what God's dreams, what God's desires are in the world. I don't say, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with praying for our needs. God invites us to do so. He empathizes Christ as our high priest, understands the feeling of our infirmities, Hebrews clearly tells us. And yes, He wants to empathize with us as His children. But may I ask you a question? How, how, how much bigger are your prayers rather than just the world around you and the, the temporary specific needs of this short life in which we live? And how many times we go to our knees and lift our hands in prayers and praise and then go to our knees to beseech God God to advance His cause in the world. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. How many lost folks did you cry and pray over this week? How much have you engaged the cause of Christ this week? Can I tell you, the Bible said, be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. The best way to stay out of trouble is get so busy doing the things of God that you don't have time to get in trouble. 
I mean, that fellow was giving his mom and dad problems and, and going out and after hours and so forth like that. He was getting up in his middle teen years and he wanted his freedom. And dad came to him one day. He said, son, I've talked to your uncle. His uncle, dad's brother, was a farmer. Lived out in the country in a pretty good size spread. He said, I've talked to your uncle. Your uncle's agreed to it. If you want to, you can go live with your uncle all summer long. You get away from mom and dad. I know you're unhappy. And he, uh, he said, I talked, I talked to your uncle. He said, your, your uncle's only have one rule. He said, only one rule. He said, wow, one rule? He said, yeah, I'll go for that. And so he went to uncle and, and, uh, and uncle's house and spent the summer. And first day that he got there, he said, so, he said so, nephew, he said, uh, you want to spend the summer with me? Glad to have you. He said, only one rule. Only one rule. And that is this. When uncle gets up to go to work, you get up with him and you work. When we get done working, you can go anywhere you want to go and do anything you want to do. All you have to do is get up when uncle gets up and work with him. He said, man, Shazam. That sounds great. He went off to bed about 4 o'clock the next morning. Lights flipped on. The bedpost was shaking. Uncle said, get up, boy! Time to go to work! (laughs) What? He worked all day, worked to the evening sun, came home to a big supper, and fell asleep with his face in a plate full of mashed potatoes. Amen? Not a single problem all summer long. (laughs) Can I tell you something, my dear friend? We need to get on God's timetable. Amen? Amen? We need to become concerned with what God's concerned about. Too many of us, uh, I, I, we, 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 we treat too flippantly our commitment to Christ. He saved us. We're blood washed. Our name's in the book of life. We have no plan. I, I'm not, listen, I know we got to live. we got to eat. we got to breathe. We gotta, I understand all that. But I tell you, we're only here for a short time. And, and what we ought to do is say, God, you left me here. You saved my soul. I'm not going to hell. You left me here for a reason, for a cause. And get your mind and heart engaged in the cause of Jesus Christ. And I tell you, you get excited about what the Lord's excited about in this earth, then you won't be too particularly interested in what the world has to offer. The Lord is with you. You while ye be with him. And if you seek him, he will be found of you. He said in verse 3, Now for a long season Israel hath been with the, without a true God, without a teaching priest, and without law. But when they in their trouble did turn unto the Lord God of Israel and sought him, he was found of him. And in those times there was no peace to him that went out, nor to him that came in, but great vexations were upon all the inhabitants of the country. It wasn't safe to go out. The nation was at a, at a low what Asa inherited as a 22-year-old young man. Though he had a season of peace spiritually, the nation was in disrepair. He had to go through the country and, 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 and tear down groves and tear down idols and destroy high places and, 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 and bust up the old uh, uh, idols. And, and, and he's trying to bring revision and trying to bring uh, uh, changes uh, uh, in his, under his administration as king changes to the nation. 
God is coming to him through the mighty, the prophet, and he's coming to him and he's saying, hey, listen, God sees what you're trying to do. God likes it that you called on him in your desperation when the two to one odds from Ethiopia came against you. And God wants to do something through you, Asa. God wants to further revive this nation. God doesn't want you just to clean up externally. I'm glad you got rid of the idols. But God wants to do something greater in the hearts of the people. He wants to see them committed. He wants to see them sacrificing. He wants them to make personal covenants with me. Ace is getting a glimpse and a taste through the man of God of how God wants to use him. In that third verse, he said, it's been a long season. The people have been without God. Can I tell you something? Our nation here, I love America. I love America. Put my hand over the heart when that flag is flown and when the national anthem is played. I love my nation. Let me tell you something. Our nation's getting every single day further and further away from God. This was a nation that was away from God a long time. They'd been without God. No God, no Bible, no one to teach them. This is a people who desperately need revival that we read about in this text. There's no peace. The time in this text is ripe for revival. Too dangerous to go anywhere. Isn't it terrible the things that we read and hear in the news on a daily basis? A dangerous time in which we live. We get down to verse number 6. And nation was destroyed of nation and city of city. For God did vex them with all adversity. Be ye strong, therefore, the man of God is talking to the young king. Be ye strong, therefore, let not your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. And when Asa heard these words and the prophecy of Oded the prophet, he took courage and put away the abominable idols out of all the land of Egypt, uh, of Judah and Benjamin, and out of the cities which he had taken from Mount Ephraim, and renewed the altar. Look in verse 8. He took courage. He put away the idols. He renewed the altar of the Lord that was before the porch of the Lord. Can I say this? Revival isn't just getting rid of the bad in your life. Revival is getting in love with God again. Amen. It's worshiping the Lord. It's loving Him. It's living wholeheartedly for Him. Verse 9. He gathered all Judah and Benjamin and the strangers with them out of Ephraim and Manasseh and out of Simeon. For they fell to him of Israel in abundance. Listen to me, watch me. This is King Asa of the southern kingdom. Are you with me? This is King Asa of Judah and Benjamin. And God is doing something in this young king's life. In a time of desperation, he's on a world stage. And I can assure you the eyes of Israel, the northern neighbors, once the United Kingdom split off, are watching this match between the million Ethiopians with their 300 chariots against this young uh, unproven king but they also witness how the king calls on God and says God I need you and God answers that young king Asa and God spares him and the man of God comes to him and cheers him on and encourages him and says Asa you've done well you trusted God you've got rid of some idols let's get rid of the rest of them let's have a revival and the eyes of the world are upon this young king and from the north from the split kingdom the Ephraimites are watching the Manassites are watching the Simeonites are watching these are supposed to be these are supposed to be Asa's enemies are you with me these are the ones that split off these are the ones that won't, don't want anything to do with this southern kingdom they're watching and when he tore down 
the idols and took courage and renewed the altar and began to reinstitute the worship of God and the sacrifices that Moses had laid out for his people that had been neglected. And he got, got rid of the false idols, got rid of the garbage in the nation, began reinstituting and teaching the word of God and the Old Testament law and began to renew the altar. Some of the northern neighbors said, listen, there's something not going on down there. There's something, God's doing something in the heart of that king. And the Bible said in our text in verse number 9, for the middle of the verse, for they fell to him out of Israel in abundance when they saw that the Lord his God was with him. Look at me. Asa didn't call these folks to the meeting. Asa called his nation to the meeting. Asa has a direct message from the man of God who cheers him on and says, you're doing the right thing. Let's have a full-fledged revival. Asa, call the people together. He calls his nation together. And guess who else shows up? Some other people who are hungry to see God do a work show up. His, his northern neighbors who are not even under his jurisdiction. They're not a part of his kingdom. But they're hungry, hungry to see God do something. And they show up. The man of God is said, is told, if you'll seek God and you'll obey His word and you'll listen to His prophets, God will reveal Himself to you. God will reveal Himself to you. May I say, my dear friend, listen to me carefully. If you and I in this day seek God and we obey His word and we listen to those who faithfully exhort us from His Word, not some religious system, not some book of catechism, not some other quote-unquote holy book. I'm talking about this old King James Bible right here. But someone stands up and faithfully teaches and preaches God's Word, your response to that will bring revival in your heart. If you listen to God's servants as they faithfully teach His Word, if you will personally seek the Lord, then God will also reveal Himself to you and I as He did to Asa of hold. Second of all, others will see it. Others will see it. Others will see it. Can I tell you something, my dear friend? Whether you realize it or not, somebody's watching you. Somebody's watching you. I remember as a teenage lad trying to witness to my boss. I had a Domino's pizza job. First job I had, <clears throat> I got a paycheck. And um, making pizzas. I was 15 years old. My boss's name was Eric. I started witnessing to Eric. Eric was foul mouthed, cursed, swore, ugh, grated on me. And I tried to talk to him about the Lord. He didn't have time for that. But as time went on, I was trying to be a good employee and I got to talk to him a little bit here and there. One night we were uh, uh, closing up the store and I went back to a little, not much of an office really, just a little cove back there. We, he did his paperwork and so forth. And there was a Bible sitting there. And I said, Eric, what is that? He said, well, that's my grandmother's Bible. I said, really? He said, yeah. He said, I've been, been looking at it, been reading it a little bit. I said, Whoa. And I said, can I show you something? And several nights we began going through there, and I began to witness to him, talk to him about the Lord. Witness to him several times, a little here, a little there. Invite him to Christ. No, no, not yet, not yet. No, no, no. And that went on for weeks and weeks and weeks, and I went out of town on vacation one one week, and <clears throat> it was a Friday evening, and the phones really start lighting up about five o'clock, and the phones were lighting up and trying to make pizzas and answer the phone. 
He just got back into town. He walked in the front door, walked by me while I was there. The phone's right there. And he walked by me. He said, hey, brother. And headed on to the back to put his apron on. And I thought, well, that's strange. And uh, he came back with his apron on, tying up his apron, get up there to make pieces. I said, hey. I said, hey, uh, what'd you call me a minute ago? He said, well, that's what I'm supposed to call you now, isn't it? I said, what do you mean now? What are you talking about? And he began to tell me how the Lord had convicted his heart. And on the way back from vacation, he pulled over on the side of the road, under conviction, got out of his car, knelt down on the side of the highway, and asked Jesus to be his Savior. Then he said this. He said, I did it by myself. Is it okay? Can you do it by yourself? I said, yes, sir, you can do it by yourself. He became a changed man. He, he, he got all the employees together. He said, from this day forward, no profanity in this store. He told all the employees, he said, you can't cuss anymore. They're <laughs> like, what? People would come in, ordering pizzas, use profanity. He said, excuse me, we don't use that, that language in this restaurant. <laughs> I mean, excuse me, customers. I said, misspoke. Customers would come in and use, use, use some bad language. He said, excuse me, we don't use that language in this store. The customers. Hallelujah. But listen, can I tell you something? People are watching you whether you realize it or not. He said, Pastor, I, nobody needs to watch me. I'm the furthest thing. I'm the, I'm the lousiest Christian example. I got news for you. Listen, you might work in Moab just like Naomi was out of the will of God. She was down there in Moab. Her and Elimelech left the house of bread, left Bethlehem. God miraculously supplied for those who stayed in the will of God. But they got scared and left the will of God in the time of a famine, went down to Moab, lived in Moab. Their two sons fell in love. They got married. Then her husband died. Then her boys died. She's got two daughter-in-laws down there, Orpah and Ruth. And the truth is, Naomi is a lousiest example of somebody who's supposed to be a God-fearing person. But Ruth saw something in Orpah and she knew that she was different. She didn't worship those idols of Moab. And when finally Naomi said, I gotta go back where I left. I should have gone back a long time ago. Ruth said, I want to go with you. Amen. And Naomi said, What? No, no, you stay. Your family's here. Orpah said, I want to go. She said, No, no, your family's here. She said, Look, I, what, I, I can't. You think I'm going to get married and have sons again and you can marry another one of my sons? It's not going to happen, ladies. Y'all stay here. Your family's here. Your customs are here. Your, your religion's here. All that's here. Orpah said, yeah, okay. And she went back home. Ruth said, entreat me not to leave thee. No, no, no. Where thou goest, I will go. Thy God will be my God. Now let me tell you something. Naomi wasn't much of an example to Ruth, but she was the best thing Ruth knew about. And some of you sitting here this morning, you're born again, your name's in the book of life, you're on your way to heaven. You say, Pastor, nobody ought to be looking at me. I'm not much of an example. i got news for you. You, you, you can, if you confess your sins, you can be clean in the eyes of God. If we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And Asa inherited a mess. The idol worship had begun under his great-grandfather Solomon. The land was filled with it. His grandfather as well. His father as well. He got there with a mess. He said, i got to do something to clean this up. i got to figure out something. He started making some progress. He got in a tight spot. Called on God. God helped him. The man of God said, you're on the right track, buddy. Keep on going. And what Asa didn't know, even people over on the other side of the boundary, on the, in the other country, people of Manasseh, they were watching and they were seeing what God is doing. Listen, whether you realize it or not, somebody's looking at your life. Somebody's watching your life. And you can have personal revival. You can confess. You can be right. You can be used of God. Just like Asa was used of God. 
If you'll seek God, obey His word and listen to His men, God will reveal Himself to you. And number two, others will see it. I think about that testimony Brother Judah told. Abdel Judah grew up in Chicago. Many of you heard his testimony from this pulpit. But grew up in Chicago, land area. His father's a very Muslim man. Father's a Muslim. And, and uh, he grew up in a big, huge, 11-room mansion. Wealthy father, his mother. One day, mom and dad split. Dad said, look. She said, well, let me keep my son. He said, you can keep our son. But if you ever come after me for a penny, I'll take him from him. Take him from you and you'll never see him again. She knew he could do it. She said, I'll never ask you for a dime. And she never did. And they went from an 11-room mansion to living on the south side of Chicago, drug-infested, crime-infested neighborhood. But an old Sunday school bus came by. Some bus worker said, hey, ride this Sunday school bus. And he came and he heard the gospel and got born again. He got called to preach. His life began to change. He started learning how to Christian how to live and going to a big, huge public school there on the south side of Chicago. He came to class at the beginning of a school year, not long after he had gotten saved, and I think it was a sociology class. Forgive me. I'm not sure that detail is correct, but this part is correct. He had an unbelieving teacher who decided that he was going to make a spectacle of this young Christian. The topics were brought up each week. They were going to discuss a hot topic. The subject of abortion was brought up, homosexuality, things like that. And how many of you believe that a woman has a right to take the baby? It's just her body, blah, 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 blah. And let me just say this. Abortion is murder, plain and simple. End of story. And... uh, uh, we'll answer to God for murder. And if you've committed it, confess your sin and God will forgive you. Amen. Hallelujah for that too. Praise God. Amen. Amen. But as far as where we stand on the issues, it's a biblical issue. It's not a political issue. Life is not a political issue. It's a biblical issue. God gives and takes life and man has no right to do that. But he, he, he stood on the side of right. And he was made fun of by the teacher and by his classmates. The next week, another topic was brought up. Same thing. And it became pretty clear week after week after week that as he was learning and growing as a Christian, learning to stand on God's Word, reading and devouring God's Word himself, that on these issues, he stood on God's Word. But the vast majority stood against him. One day he came into class. I don't remember the number. We'll say 50 30, whatever it was. If there were 30 students, there were 29 chairs on this side of the room, and there's one chair by itself over here. Abdel, the teenage boy, came into class, found his seat in the, in the large group, and the teacher stood up and said, uh, Excuse me, Abdel, we have a seat for you. Your seat's over here. Since you always seem to be the one who has your own idea and opinion about things, You'll sit here. And to his humiliation, he sat all by himself. The next issue was brought up. How many of you agree with the, with the enlightened teacher? And the hands went up. How many of you disagree? 
He was mocked. He was jeered. He was obviously isolated. He'd been called to preach. He was reading his Bible, studying his Bible, and, and so frustrated one night to a point of frustration, he took his Bible and threw it across the room and said, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. I can't take the humiliation. He left his house and walked down to White Castle, 24-hour hamburger place. Standing in line, he realized he's standing behind a well-known gang, gang member who was his classmate. A young, young man they called Bones involved in the Chicago land gangs. Bones turned around and I looked at him and said, aren't you that kid in my class? He said, yep, that's me. Tears began to swell up in Bones' eyes. A tragedy had taken place in his life. Someone was killed. And he said, well, Bones, can I, can I pray with you? Yeah, I'd like that. He took him over to a booth at 3 o'clock in the morning. Let this gangbanger to Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Went to the sociology class the next day. Walked in the classroom. And when he walked in, there was two chairs on this side. And Bones, Bones was sitting over there. As the semester went on, it was three and then four and five and six and then ten and then twelve. By the time the semester was over, it was about 50-50. Can I tell you, whether you realize it or not, somebody's watching you. Somebody's watching you. It might be the most unlikely person you ever imagined. That person doesn't care anything about me. That person doesn't know who I am. That person pays no mind to me. But listen, everybody in this world lives in a sin-sick, broken world. Everybody's going to have heartache. Everybody somewhere along the line is themselves or a family member or a friend or a co-worker. Hear that dreaded C word, cancer. Death is going to come in an untimely manner to every home and every family. And disappointment and brokenness and divorce and, and financial reversal comes to his hall. I want to be the one who when the tragedies come to my neighbors and friends and those that watch me day by day in the places of commerce, I want to be that one that says, you know, there's something in that person's life and when they have a need, they'll be able to turn around and say, might you pray for me? Might you speak to God on my behalf? Oh, listen to me, my dear friend. God wants to do revival in your heart and life, but He wants to use you and I to bring others to know Him as well. If you'll seek God, obey His word, and listen to His man, God will reveal Himself to you. Others will see it. I think about the beautiful song that Ron Hamilton wrote of his father. When I enter heaven's glory and I see my Savior's face, I will offer Him 10,000 years of praise. Then I'll find that special one in whose life I saw God's Son. And through tears of joy with trembling lips, these words I'll say, I saw Jesus in you. I saw Jesus in you. I could hear His voice in the words you said. I saw Jesus in you. In your eyes I saw His care. I could see His love was there. You were faithful. And I saw Jesus in you. One of my favorite biographies, maybe the, one of my favorite biographies is the J. Frank Norris I have known. 
written by Louis Insminger, who served Dr. Norris, organized his Sunday school. And in that book, he tells a story of a, a saloon keeper. J. Frank Norris is a man of great power with God, very controversial in his day. He spoke the truth without apology, and he was either loved or hated. And a saloon keeper came, a crowd had gathered, and a saloon keeper came vowing that he was going to do away with, with uh, J. Frank Norris. And J. Frank Norris heard that and went out to that crowd gathered on the streets, getting a raucous crowd, getting all wound up. He walked up to the man and said, <clears throat> Heard you're looking for Frank Norris. He said, Yes, I am. He said, I'm Frank Norris. Took the man by surprise. <laughs> he said, You got a problem with me? He said, Yeah, I got a problem with you. He said, Let's go talk. He went and talked. He led him to Christ. Amen. <laughs> Became his bodyguard. <laughs> My pastor of seven years, Brother Howes, man had a $60,000 contract on his life, came to church armed. After this and some other threats on his life, he preached for years behind a bulletproof pulpit. But a man came armed to the service, unbeknownst to anyone. $60,000 contract in his pocket, a loaded pistol in his pocket. He walked down the aisle of the invitation. He revealed the contract and the pistol. He said, I want to give both of these to you. I listened to you preach. I came to kill you. I want to get saved instead. Can I taste up, my dear friend? God wants to use your life. God wants to have His way in your life, personal revival in your heart, but He wants to use you to bring others to Him as well. I said, number one, if you'll seek God, obey His word, and listen to His men, God will reveal Himself to you. Number two, others will see it. And number three, when others see God's presence in your life, many will want to join in. Many will want to join in. Look at the text as we read in verse number 10. Right after that amazing statement, they, they fell to Him out of Israel in abundance when they saw the Lord as God was with Him. Verse 10, so they gathered themselves. Many will join in. Verse 3, And they offered unto the Lord. Many will make sacrifices in their lives as well. Verse number 12, And they entered into a covenant. That's this group that came with him that saw God at work in the young king's life. And they said, We want to be a part of that. And they too entered into a covenant to seek the Lord their God of their fathers with all their heart and with all their soul. May I say this? If you'll seek God, obey His word, and listen to His men, God will reveal Himself to you. Others will see it. And many will want to join with you. However, listen closely. Some closest to you will not like it. In this time of revival, the Bible says in verse 15, And all Judah rejoiced at the oath, the covenant. For they had sworn with all their heart and sought him with their whole desire. And it was found of them and the Lord gave them rest round about. And also concerning Maacah, the mother of Asa, the king, he removed her from being queen because she had made an idol in a grove 
And Asa cut down her idol and stamped it and burned it at the brook Kidron. May I say this, my dear friend? If you experience personal revival and others see what God's doing in your life, you'll be surprised at others who'll come and say, I want to be a part of that. I, I, I I, I want what God's doing in your life. I want that in my life. But one of the most painful things about selling out to Christ is that some of the folks you love the most are not going to understand. Many people across this room who have come to Christ, come to faith in Christ, or been away from the Lord, have come back to the Lord and committed to the Lord. Your own family members, as you've told me, have questioned your level of commitment to Christ. Why do you go to church that much? Why do you give like that? How come you don't do this with us anymore? And sometimes those who love you don't understand your level of commitment to Christ. May I say this, dear friend, the song we teach our children, I've decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. The cross before me, the world behind me, the cross before me, the world behind me. Though no one join me, still I will follow. Though no one join me, still I will follow. Do you want in your life what God did in Asa's life? Are you at that place where the odds are against you? Two to one, you can't win this fight. You can't overcome this obstacle. This battle is too great. Call on the Lord like Asa did. And God will come to you. And God will fight on your behalf. And God will win a victory that only He can win. And when He does, you'll be inspired to go on for Him. And others will see it. And some of the most unlikely folks... Some perhaps who are not even saved on their way to hell right now today will see God at work in your life and say, I want to know what's going on. I want a part of that. And your life and the life of others can count for Christ. Make a difference. Do you want that? Do you want others to see Jesus Christ in you? Our heads are bowed, eyes are closed.